0: Benedict XVI has published his apostolic letter called Porta Fidei, or Door of Faith in English.
1: This document officially calls for the Year of the Faith.
0: Thank you for joining us for Porta Fidei, the show that seeks to observe the year of faith. Of course, this is the 50th anniversary of the Second Vatican Council and the 20th anniversary of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Our show, Porta Fidei, is an exploration of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and parts of it that relate to faith. I'm Father Jeff Kirby.
1: And I'm Valerie Soup.
0: And again, you joined us for Porta Fidei.
1: On our last show, we started talking about the stages of revelation, how God reveals himself to us gradually, and we go back and look at the history starting from creation, moving on up, and just how God slowly reveals himself to his people, and then we'll see that he goes through these stages of covenant. So we're going to just pick right back up where we left off. We started talking about creation, and this week we're going to jump right into number 55 of the Catechism in the Catholic Church.
0: Oh yes, Valerie, and I'll tell you, last show, uh, I I hope our listeners were Able to catch us if not, of course, you can uh, catch it on the uh, website Catholic Radio in SC.com. That again, Catholic Radio in SC.com. and you can catch our last week's show, of course, because last week, as you mentioned, Valerie, we started talking about this divine pedagogy. Yes, God I love that expression, of course, the catechism taken out from uh, Saint Paul. And if I can just start, as you say, right into number 55 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and that number reads, The revelation was not broken off by our first parent sin after the fall. God buoyed them up with the hope of salvation by promising redemption, and he has never ceased to show his solicitude for the human race. For he wishes to give eternal life to all those who seek salvation by patience and well-doing. And then, of course, we have a a great quote there from Eucharistic prayer number four, which reads, Even when he disobeyed you and lost your friendship, you did not abandon him to the power of death. Again and again you offered a covenant to man. Well, there's number 55 of the Catechism.
1: Again, I'm just struck by God, our good and loving Father, who never gives up on us. He's saying even after the fall, even after original sin of Adam and Eve, He did not abandon us. I love this image that He buoyed them up with the hope of salvation. Of course, we know in Genesis, right after the fall, then we have what we call the proto-gospel, where He gives us that promise of a Savior right away.
0: I particularly like that word uh, in number fifty-five uh, here in the catechism when it says that he has that God has a solicitude mm. for the human race, and that just summarizes, I think, a lot of what you're expressing: that that God's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, we we've offended Him, and our original parents offended Him, and and He would have cause to just wipe us out, <laughs> you know, and love upon love, glory upon glory. That that God's not going anywhere. In our last show, we spoke about just that. So oftentimes, people want to equate fallenness or sin with, with human nature. Like, well, if someone sins, well, that's just human, you know, they're just being human, or and so on. And, and, and we challenged that in our last show. And I, I want to maybe revisit that in this show because I think there, in this number 55 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I think there's where some people maybe they mean well, but maybe the language is off a little bit, you know, in the mm-hmm. sense of, yes, we are fallen, but our fallenness never takes away the goodness, because we didn't give ourselves that goodness. That goodness yes. comes from God. Mm-hmm. We can't get that out. So we're good, fallen, and as we will see at the end of this wonderful uh, story of salvation, uh, we are redeemed. Yes. And, and, and so oftentimes when dealing with high school students, that's what I'll tell them. So you want the whole story of salvation? Here's three words, <laughs> you know, good, fallen, redeemed. Okay, you got it. I like <laughs> you it. Know <laughs> But, of course, that begins this great story that, that we're going to walk our listeners through. Uh, that's, number, of course, number 55. And uh, maybe we can just go right from, from that to, to number 56. Of course, we're going now from Adam and Eve in, in creation. The catechism now takes us to Noah. And if I can get you to, to read number 56, please.
1: Great. 56 reads, After the unity of the human race was shattered by sin, God at once sought to save humanity part by part. The covenant with Noah after the flood gives expression to the principle of the divine economy toward the nations. In other words, toward men grouped in their lands, each with its own language by their families and their nations.
0: Excellent, I'm I'm gonna go right to number 57 because of course number 56, number 57, number 58 are all about Noah. So uh, we wanna walk through this part of the catechism. Number 57 reads, this state of division into many nations is at once cosmic, social, and religious. It is tended to limit the pride of fallen humanity, united only in its perverse ambition to forge its own unity as a babel. But because of sin, both polytheism and the idolatry of the nation and of its rulers constantly threaten this provisional economy with the perversion of paganism. There's a lot to talk about here, Valley, but maybe we can just take our listeners to number 58 and, and then we'll bring all this together and talk a little bit about Noah and, and this part of Salvation History.
1: Great, so moving on to 58, it reads, the covenant with Noah remains in force during the times of the Gentiles until the universal proclamation of the gospel. The Bible venerates several great figures among the Gentiles, Abel the just, the king-priest Melchizedek, a figure of Christ, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Scripture thus expresses the heights of sanctity that can be reached by those who live according to the covenant of Noah, waiting for Christ to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad.
0: All right. Well, there we go again on number 56, number 57, number 58 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I think the the whole story of of Noah just kind of catches people off guard. It's like, well, wait a minute, like if you're telling us in, in number 54, number 55 of the Catechism that we're created good and God loves us and God's not going anywhere, well, then we immediately come to our second major covenant. And, Of course, the covenant is just a solemn agreement that forms a family. And when God makes a covenant, we become a part of His family. The first was with Adam, and now we see it with Noah. Sometimes people can ask, like, "Wait a minute, didn't God destroy everything? Like, what, what's happening here?" Mm-hmm. You know. And of course, uh, it's a good question, and we want to immediately clarify. Well, wait, God didn't destroy everything. Remember God's compassion and that solicitude. God spared Noah and his family. Why? Because He was going to regenerate humanity he was going to in a sense allow his grace once again a power to recreate
1: solicitude is just a big word that really means to show care for to show concern for when we talk about god's solicitude it's just his care and compassion for for people so we see god's solicitude for us not abandoning us after the fall his solicitude or care for us in saving noah and then even in paragraph 56 it talks about God creating these nations and he even then calls us to show solicitude towards one another for us to care for one another
0: number 58 of the catechism of the Catholic Church talks about these noble figures Noah Daniel Job Melchizedek these holy people that lived before the time of, of the flood and what I want to do maybe for a little bit as we prepare to to take the next step of course we've gone from from Adam now we go to Noah of course we're, we're gonna to move to Abraham here here in just a second but may I want to just talk a little bit more about these covenantal shifts that we're mm-hmm. experiencing, do you know, because in our last show we talked about St. Irenaeus, he said the best way to learn the Christian faith and salvation history is by the study of the covenants. And of course you see the catechism taking us through that pedagogy, which of course is, is the pedagogy of God. So what we see in these, these covenants is, well, well, does one covenant end and then another one start. well, we really wouldn't use that language we would just say that the covenant is fulfilled mm. back in the day when i took biology in high school and we had dissect a frog mm-hmm. and we had these manuals and you could open up the manuals and it has a picture of the frog it was just the outline of the frog and then you had these little plastic sheets and so then you you do one sheet and then you see his like skeleton structure or whatever he has and then right. you do another you see his muscle groups and you do another and you see his internal organs and so on you know and by the end you'd have this whole frog. It's like wow, that's now that's a frog, you know. <laughs> well, in the same way as we can think of the covenants in that way with God is that creation, it's that initial structure of of, of this frog. And then now the covenant with Noah and we see a little bit more. Mm. And then we're gonna move now to the covenant with Abraham. We're gonna mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. But it, with each covenant, God is turning another sheet mm-hmm. of that plastic in order to show us more of what his kingdom is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we we'll reach that last covenant with David, which will be the one that most immediately prepares for the coming of Christ. But we're going to get there. But I wanted to kind of maybe just explain to our listeners a little bit about that, because I think the whole notion of covenant and this stages of salvation, sometimes just speak a little confusing.
1: Yeah. So, of course, covenant is really just a promise that God makes with his people.
0: And when, when God makes a promise, families formed. Mm-hmm. But let maybe let's dive into uh, number 59. I, I want to get to this figure of Abraham. I think, again, our listeners are going to really enjoy it.
1: Sure. 59 reads In order to gather together scattered humanity, God calls Abram from his country, his kindred, and his father's house, and makes him Abraham, that is, the father of a multitude of nations. And you, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed.
0: Okay, here is what I like about this. First of all, we heard in the previous numbers, as they summarize Noah, that the nations were created but divided. Mm. And what is the purpose of Abraham his vocations? He's gonna bring them all back together. Mm. Now, this is what I like. If if we read all the epics of the ancient world, all the great figures to these great warriors, you know, you've got Gilgamesh, and you've got all these heroes or are great kings, or powerful warriors, so on. And in the midst of all that, what do the scriptures give us? abraham (laughs) okay (laughs) for all intents and purposes he really wasn't much a nomad a nomad exactly i mean this man had no military no power no castle no crown i mean and i think sometimes just the obvious miss we miss the obvious here Mm -hmm. that that god really just called and, and i and i say this in order to emphasize this point that god really just called a no one to a powerful vocation in the history of salvation which you've just read, that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Mm. My goodness. I want to take us to to number 60, that the Catechism of the Catholic Church reads, the people descended from Abraham would be the trustees of the promise made to the patriarchs, the chosen people, called to prepare for that day when God would gather all his children into the unity of the church. They would be the root onto which the Gentiles would be grafted once they came to believe. Mm. And number 61 is really short, so let me just throw that in there real quick. Number 61, the catechism reads, the patriarchs, prophets, and certain other Old Testament figures have been and always will be honored as saints in all the church's liturgical traditions. So let's just jump back to number 60 about this trustees of the promise.
1: Gosh, Father, and when I hear that, it reminds me of St. Paul, who of course would tell us that we are all children of Abraham in faith.
0: And you are listening to Porta Fidei, a show that honors the year of faith declared by our Holy Father. We thank you for joining us. You know, Valerie, I want to jump back to, to number 59 and and just really just kind of develop this figure of Abraham. You know, there are some people that, that question whether Abraham was actually a historical person, and and of course, evidence uh, proves contrary. So we know he was real. We know that here's this figure in the ancient world. And the catechism tells us that he is given a special vocation, and he is taken from his country, he takes his kindred, he leaves his father's house, and sometimes just intrigued by not only this person, but also this amazing story that Genesis mm-hmm. tells us.
1: Yes, I think just his faith is amazing. Of course, we know St. Paul will later talk to us about Abraham, and that even the, the author of the Hebrews will look at the figure of Abraham, it's just the model of faith, that he would trust God enough to leave everything he knows. And he's in his old age.
0: Yes, and of course, this is not a person who grew up knowing about the Old Testament narrative Mm -hmm. to to his day, who did not hear about Adam and Eve or the creation account, who did not know the story of Noah and his family, someone who grew up among the Chaldeans, the the pagans. Pagans. One time I asked a group of young people, where was Abraham from? And they said, um, I said, no, Ur. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that was his hometown, Ur, okay. But there's a great story told among the rabbis that, Abraham, that when he was growing up, his uh, father was actually a maker of idols.
1: Oh, wow. Now,
0: this is not in the scriptures, but this is oral tradition among the Jewish people. And one time his father was away and he asked Abraham to Abram, of course, he later becomes Abraham, to watch the store. Basically, Abraham goes in and all of the idols are facing on the floor. His father comes back and is very upset because he thinks that Abram has done this. And he says, what are you doing? This is how we make our livelihood. He said, Father, I didn't do this. And so they fix all the idols and so on. And then later, uh, his father's away again. happens again. His father comes home. He's furious. And then Abram is caught in prayer about this. And God speaks to him and says, you know, I am the God, not of wood, you know, or of stone, but the living God. And I will prepare you for my mission. Wow. So, again, it's not in the the scriptures, but an oral tradition told among Jewish people to this day about this figure of Abraham. But Mm. otherwise, yes, like he did not grow up in... You know, Jewish culture or in the, the culture of the Old Testament yet called and he dropped everything, sacrificed everything and he went. And he went with a promise mm. that he'd have a firstborn son which he did not have fulfilled until 20 years after he left Ur. Which again, faith upon faith. A yes. Powerful, powerful stuff. But then we get to this number 60 so we have this figure of Abraham and then we're told that Abraham and those who follow him will be and were the trustees of the promise made to the patriarchs. And what was that promise? And you spoke about that earlier, Valerie. That's the promise of a Savior. You know, that sin's not going to get the last word. Mm-hmm. You know? And called to prepare for that day when God would gather all his children into the unity of the church.
1: Of course, for us, looking back at history, we just have this wonderful vantage point to look back and see God's hand in all of it call to prepare for that day when God will gather all his children in the unity of the church. I'm like, I bet they didn't think it would take that long. This is a long (laughs) period of time and all the preparations um, that went into this to prepare for that day and how exciting it is that we are living in that day. God has gathered us all together into his church, into his bride, the church, the body of Christ.
0: Absolutely. I'll tell you, in, in St. Paul's preaching, and, and he got a few people upset in the Acts of the Apostles because Paul would go so far as to call the church the Israel mm. of God, that all of us, now not only Jewish people, but also the Gentiles, we are the seeds, uh, we are the children of Abraham. Yes. So here's this figure that plays this monumental role. And, of course, to our listeners, yes, we now flip another piece of that plastic, and, and we have now Adam and Noah and Abraham and, and Valerie, I think you're going to take us to another part of this narrative.
1: Yeah, so we're going to move on to um, Numbers 62 through 64. And this is where God is going to form His people, Israel. So 62 of the Catechism reads, After the patriarchs, God formed Israel as his people by freeing them from slavery in Egypt. He established with them the covenant of Mount Sinai and through Moses gave them his law so that they would recognize him and serve him as the one living and true God, the provident Father and just judge, and so that they would look for the promised Savior.
0: Okay. We've got a lot there, don't we? We
1: do. (laughs) (laughs) We do. So we have God forming his His people Israel, as it says, freeing them from slavery in Egypt. So we all, of course, know the story of, of Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues and God intervening and freeing his people from the slavery that they knew in Egypt and then leading them in the desert and then establishing with them this covenant on Mount Sinai.
0: Absolutely. And, and that covenant cannot be underestimated. Of course, this is one of the big ones. If, if we speak of the flow in the stages of, of god's divine pedagogy and we talk about these different covenants and again just these stages and we talk about adam and now we have noah and then abraham and but now we hit moses and we've got almost like put a star by moses <laughs> you know because yeah. for 400 years of egyptian slavery the israelites in a remarkable way while holding on to aspects of their faith and their understanding of god we also have to admit there were some compromises and what's great is is scripture Scholars tell us that every plague was actually an Egyptian god. Mm. So the Nile was worshipped, the frog was worshipped, the gnat was worshipped. I don't know how you worship a gnat, but they did. <laughs> right? You know. So in each of the plagues, God was actually destroying the false gods of Egypt. Then he called his people out of Egypt. And amazing to most of us because, of course, we read post-Leviticus, but up until that time, bloody sacrifices were actually uncommon among the, the Jewish people. Mm. And so God takes him out in the desert. Valerie, it only takes three days to travel from Egypt to the Holy Land. It only takes three days. Okay. God took him the long way around. <laughs> so I was like, Why? Wow. Yeah, took him on the scenic route and it's like why would he do that? You know? And of course he did it because once he got him out in the desert, he goes, Now I want you to sacrifice the bull, I want you to sacrifice the calf and so on. Like, why? Why is he asking his people to do this? Because that's what the Egyptians worshiped. Mm. And God was teaching his people as the catechism tells us, that he is the one living and true God. Mm. I mean, that's amazing, amazing, you know. And, you know, I look at our our own lives in in the contemporary world like, (laughs) (laughs) how many false gods do we surround ourselves with? Oh, yeah. You know, like, whether it's power or vanity or sexuality or whatever it might be, we can just get so easily intoxicated, you Mm. know. And as they tell us in our spiritual tradition, we don't need sand to have a desert. And sometimes God has to take us out to the desert and kind of call us to sacrifice a few things, you know. But in this figure of Moses in Sinai, like we see that powerful movement of God drawing close, like and I'm just amazed that people would see God in Moses as the provident father and just judge and so that they would look for the promised savior.
1: Yes, and that phrase provident father of course calls to mind the divine pedagogy that we've been talking about how God is slowly teaching his children and revealing himself building these covenants that build on each other and are forming this family and teaching us to look for the promised savior preparing us for the savior preparing us for the full revelation that will come in the person of Jesus Christ if you are just tuning in, this is Porta Fidei, the show where we're looking at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I am Valerie Soup.
0: And Father Jeff Kirby.
1: So, Father, we've been looking at number 62, talking about God forming his people, Israel. And maybe we can just go on and look at paragraphs 63 and 64 to go into this a little deeper.
0: I agree. And I think we have to go to, to number at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We've been talking about the different covenants and, and the, the staged of revelation. We have, of course, Adam and Noah And then we have Abraham and Moses. And traditionally, we would then see David. Number 63 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church reads, Israel is the priestly people of God, called by the name of the Lord and the first to hear the word of God, the people of elder brethren in the faith of Abraham. So, number 63 of the Catechism is just kind of summarizing now to this point. But then it jumps into number 64 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which reads, Through the prophets, God forms His people in the hope of salvation, in the expectation of a new and everlasting covenant intended for all to be written on their hearts. The prophets proclaim a radical redemption of the people of God, purification from all their infidelities, a salvation which will include all the nations. Above all, the poor and humble of the Lord will bear this hope. Such holy women as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Judith, and Esther keep alive the hope of Israel's salvation. The purest figure among them is Mary. So, and that, of course, takes us to the end of the parts of the Catechism of the Catholic Church that we want to speak about in the show, but where's David? (laughs) (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) I think often often when we talk about the covenants, you know, we talk about Moses and Israel, but then we talk about David right before we get to Christ. I think the Catechism of the Catholic Church is including David here in the Prophets, and it's actually going to talk in detail about David later in the Catechism.
0: Exactly. I think in... Part four in regards to the Old Testament prayer. Um, but definitely we want to say that, that David, of course, is included. And as you're saying, he's included here uh, in Israel. But uh, but I tell you, I think a, a few people kind of scratched their heads that, that David wouldn't be mentioned. So we, we definitely want to let our, our listeners know that uh, David's kingdom and his covenant is very important mm. uh, to this narrative and, and to this pedagogy of God. So with that said, we see in number 64 through the prophets and, of course, here, Uh, David would be included. God forms his people in the hope of salvation, in the expectation of a new and everlasting covenant intended for all to be written on their hearts. Mm. And, of course, we know where that's leading, don't we?
1: That's leading to, of course, the coming of the Savior and Jesus and the new covenant that he will establish with his church.
0: Well, the fulfillment of that would include an upper room, 12 guys, (laughs) (laughs) the Son of God, (laughs) you know, (laughs) some bread and some wine, you know. (laughs) So... But that number continues. The prophets proclaim a radical redemption of the people of God, purification of all their infidelities, a salvation which will include all the nations. Mm. Isn't that just beautiful?
1: It is. And I love that the catechism reminds us that it's a radical redemption because it is a radical idea. When we look at other religions, ours is the only one where God himself becomes man in Mm. order to redeem us.
0: Sometimes it said that the Judeo-Christian tradition is unique in that other religions are about the person's search for god Mm. but our tradition is god searches for us to the point where he would even become a man in jesus christ so we definitely see the role of the prophets of david this this kind of final preparation this purification this call to to fidelity now what i think is very interesting at the end of 64 Who gets the shout-out? The women. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And you would think that it would be so interesting that there's no list of (laughs) the prophets. We see no Isaiah or Ezekiel, (laughs) but what we see are these powerful women of faith. What Mm. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I just have to say this as a tangent, as an aside, that, of course, we see in our world today so many people saying that the church hates women. And here is a great example that, in fact, quite the opposite, that the church loves women, respects women, and draws our attention to these holy women as examples. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. So Sarah agreed to pick up and leave everything (laughs) and go with her husband. And of course, these other great figures of the Old Testament, Rebecca and Rachel, the wives of Isaac and Jacob. And then we have Miriam, Moses' sister and Deborah, Hannah, Judith, and it just goes on. And then of course it leads us to the purest figure among them, Mary. As we're talking about these stages of God revealing himself, right before we get to Christ, the full revelation, we end with Mary. She's really the one who teaches us how to prepare for the coming of the Savior. If all the prophets were calling the people to prepare for the Savior, Mary is the one who most perfectly now teaches us how to welcome Jesus because, of course, she welcomed him in a way that none of us will ever get to experience in welcoming him in her own womb.
0: Yes. And, of course, as you're saying, that last figure right before the crescendo, which, of course, we're going to talk about in our next show, <laughs> <laughs> is, of course, that figure of Mary, who not only is the objective measure, yeah. but as you're describing, is also the subjective measure, that here in, in this woman of Nazareth we see not only the fulfillment of all the covenants, literally flesh in her womb, but also the most perfect disciple. Mm. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. Perfect example of the covenants with humanity, but also the response of personal discipleship.
1: We want to thank you for joining us for the show Porta Fidei. I'm Valerie Soup.
0: I'm Father Jeff Kirby.
1: And maybe, Father, if you wouldn't mind closing us in prayer.
0: That'd be great. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Allow us to understand the incredible patience that you show us as you desire to teach us your ways. We ask that you give us generous hearts, and we ask all this to Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is Father Jeff Kirby. You can reach me at charlestonvocations.com as well as on Facebook, also Charleston Vocations. Help you visit our website or visit us on Facebook. Thanks.
1: And this is Valerie Soup. You can reach me at the website Catholic Young Adults of That's Catholic Young Adults of SC for South Carolina.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter.